Jesus, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you hear every prayer. You know every need. You know exactly where we are. And we thank you that you are Lord over all, that you see it, that you know it, that you're sovereign, and that you can heal. You can work it out. God, that there's never a hopeless case with you in the mix. And so we trust you, Jesus, and we look to you, and we pray that you have your way in our hearts. Regardless of where we are in the journey of faith, I pray that we truly would have a touch of heaven here today, that we would leave here encouraged, inspired, and equipped to live the great lives that you've called us to live. We love you, Jesus, and this is all to your glory. We do it all in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you say hi to somebody else that you didn't get to say hi to, and then you can go ahead and take a seat. All right, well, this morning, I thought that we would begin our time here doing something a little bit different. I actually want us to play an interactive game. Now, I know when I say that, some of you are like, oh, man, this is not my day to be at church. I do not like games. What is going on here? Others of you are like, I'm ready, you know? Uh, but we are going to do this together, and here's the thing. It's an interactive word association game. You have a simple job to do, but this only works if you actually play the game. Basically, do not leave me hanging, all right? This would be a really sad moment for me, very awkward up here, and this is my Christmas wish that you would play this game with me, okay? So there we go. So here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a word, and I want you just to yell out the first word that comes to your mind, completely unfiltered. The first word that comes to your mind. Now, this is church, so I mean unfiltered within reason, all right? Let's keep it holy. But, but, but here we go. Ready? You ready? First word, talented. <laughs> LeBron James, singer. Come on, what else? Beyonce, there's always a Beyonce, yes, yes, Queen B, yes, okay, Any, anything else? Scott Lampkin, there's a wife in the corner getting points right now for her marriage, it's awesome, I love that, okay, all right, now, ne next word, spontaneous, surprise. surprise, what else? Combustion, yes, that's, that's definitely a big thing, yeah, what else? Adventure, trip. Travel. Okay, all right. All right, next word. Charismatic. Go. Leader. Leader. Holy Spirit. Obama. Who else? Scott Lampkin. <laughs> what else? What else? Anything else? Attractive. All right. Hey, now. Okay. Last word. Ready? Predictable. Boring. Boring. Rigid, comforting, reliable. I'll keep that one tight. Okay. But did you notice how when I said the word predictable, that the atmosphere in the room changed? Like it dropped. In unison, it wasn't like adventure trip. It was boring, right? And I get it because the word predictable just doesn't elicit the same kind of excitement that words like talented and spontaneous and charismatic do. In, in my opinion, though, the word predictable actually gets a bad rap. Like, think about it. When you, when you label somebody predictable, it's not exactly a compliment. When you're like, oh, they're so predictable, right? It's code for they're so boring. Label a marriage predictable and somehow it's lost its passion. Marriage, or, or, or label a, a, a movie predictable and it's no longer worth seeing, right? 
But, but I do think it gets a bad rap. I, I don't think that the word predictable gets the credit that it deserves because there are actually a lot of things in life that I want to be predictable. We all do. Like, I want the subway to be predictable. Then I'd get somewhere on time. Hello? I'm going to blame it on that, right? right. I, I, I want... I, I want my phone to be predictable. I want to know that when I pick it up, it's going to be working. If my prediction is wrong, that's going to be a bad day, right? Like, I, I want to know that certain things are going to be predictable. I want to know that when I wake up in the morning, I can predict the fact that my husband is going to be there. That's a pretty a normal expectation in a marriage. There's a lot of things that I want to be predictable. In fact, I wish that there are more things that would be predictable in life. Like, I wish I could predict the stock market. Man, I'd be making it rain right now up here. I'd be like, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you got to be living my own Oprah life right now, right? I wish I could predict my future health, because then that would change what health care plan I decide on right now. I, I wish I could predict when there was going to be a financial emergency, because it would change how I spend. It would make me understand what I really could be spending this Christmas and what I need to be saving. I wish I could predict the outcome of a new friendship, how it's going to pan out. It would definitely impact the level in which I invested in the friendship or the relationship. I, I wish that I could predict a lot more in life. To be frank, I wish that I could predict everything about the future. I mean, and maybe for some of you that, that might sound boring, but it would make life a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Like, we give predictability a bad rap, but the truth is we do want it. You know, spontaneous has its place, and spontaneity, we love the idea of it, but you can't build on whim. You build life on practice. We build on what we know. We build on predictability. Jesus was predictable. Some of you are going, are you talking about the one who walked on water and turned water into wine and raised the dead to life and healed the sick and cast out demons and took a few loaves and multiplied them to feed thousands? Okay, arguably these are not the most predictable things to ever happen to humanity. But he was predictably miraculous. If Jesus was rolling into your town or village, you could bet on something miraculous taking place. Perhaps where Jesus was even more predictable was in his character and convictions. He always at all times embodied absolute truth and love. He never said one thing and acted another way. He was not stingy one moment, generous the next. He wasn't, he wasn't brave one moment and cowardly the next. He was always true to truth and love. In fact, he claimed that he was the son of God. And even upon the pain of death, he did not back down on that claim. And every promise that he made, he fulfilled. Actually, there's nobody that ever walked the earth more predictable than Jesus because Jesus was sinless and he was one with the Father. Aren't you grateful that we serve a predictable God? Like, I am so grateful that in all the ways that counts, my God is predictable. I'm so grateful that I can bank on his love no matter what is going on. I am so incredibly grateful that even on my worst day, I can still depend on his grace. I am so thankful that even when my affection falters towards him, his affection towards me does not. I am so incredibly grateful that in a volatile and turbulent wor world, that his word remains the same. I am so incredibly grateful that no matter what is going on, I can bank on his promises. If he said it, he's going to do it. Come on, friends. I want you to hear this this morning. Regardless of what is going on around you, and some of us are facing some things here in this room, and regardless of what is going on within you, you can still bank on a God who loves you. 
who is still all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign, still a God of miracles, still seated on the throne in heaven, who is still able to lead and guide you in all truth, who is still a God of compassion, who is still a God of mercy, who still has a plan for your life, who can still turn it around. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which means we can bank on his love today, tomorrow, and the next day. Regardless of what is going on, friends, you can be predictably dependent on God because his love is predictable towards you. He is never going to leave you. He's never going to fail you. This is the power of predictability. Despite what we've been told, a person's greatest asset in life is not their network or their charisma or their education or their experience or even their talent. It's their predictability. Great lives are built on predictability. Take, for example, one of the Bible heroes that some of us are familiar with, King David. King David, before in the Old Testament, before he ever became the most celebrated king of all of Israel's history, he was just a young man tending to his father's sheep. We don't know much about his early years, but we do know a few things from Scripture. We know that he was tasked with a job out of all of his brothers to tend to his father's flock. Now, this was not glamorous work. Being a shepherd, it was boring. It was uneventful a lot of times, uninspiring, unimplotted, hidden. This is definitely not the dream job that a, that, that a teenage boy has, right? We also know, or at least it's hinted at in the Bible, that he wasn't the most liked by his brothers and that he certainly wasn't the favorite of his father. So he dealt with his own fair share of family dysfunction and dad issues, right? So this is the profile we have of young King David before he's king. He's a teenage boy working a lame after-school job, and he doesn't fit in to his family. Okay, so that, that makes him relatable to many of us, but that doesn't make him extraordinary. So what was it about him that made him a standout? I mean, why was he the one who was anointed to be king? Like, what, what about him caused him to become the person who would be destined to be one of the greatest biblical leaders of the Old Testament? It was with those stinky, stupid sheep. Day after day after day in the pasture fields that young David discovered the power of predictability. It was there every day when no one was watching, he was worshiping. He became predictable in his worship. And it was there time and time again when an animal predator would come to try to steal from the flock that it was David who stood up and defended the sheep. He became predictable in his courage. In fact, he became so predictable in that season of his life that one day, one infamous day, when an entire Israeli army is cowering before their enemy, this war hero and giant named Goliath that is defying God and defying God's army, that David becomes a standout simply because he responds exactly the same way we would predict he would. Exactly the same way he had in the fields when no one was watching. He was so predictable, in fact, that when he volunteered to fight the giant Goliath when nobody else would, these are the words that he uses to describe his motives. 
He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, right? He'll be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And when David actually meets Goliath in battle, hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat, the final words that he says to Goliath, the last words that living Goliath will ever hear before he dies is this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you, not just you, Goliath, all of you into our hands. And with that... David dropped the mic, or in this case, picked up the slingshot. When you read these words that David has as a young man facing a giant, a couple things become very clear. He was both a worshiper and a warrior. But I want us to take note of the fact that these were not new attributes that the giant brought out of him on the battlefield. These were disciplined reactions forged in the fire of predictability. We're all going to face giants in our lives. We will. We do. They're everywhere. Hatred, evil, shame, insecurity, fear, rejection, addiction, abuse, despair, depression, roadblocks, both Spiritual and physical, emotional, mental, relational. Perhaps we have faced them, we are facing them, or we will face them. We will have to meet them on the battlefield of our hearts, our minds, our marriages, our families, our careers, our church communities, our neighborhoods, our city, our nation, and yes, our world. We live in a world of giants. I guarantee every single one of us right now are facing a giant of some kind in our personal lives. And the majority always cower in fear, just like they did in 1 Samuel 17. It's perhaps the most understandable, it's the easiest reaction when facing a giant, to allow giants to keep us small and timid and weak and afraid. And giants love it because they feed off of our fear. But I also believe that there is something within each and every one of us that desires to live completely unafraid. Like that somewhere deep within, there's this whisper, there's this drum of the heart that would say, what if I faced my giants? Like, What if I faced the giant of insurmountable debt in my financial situation? 
What if I faced the giant of discouragement that for far too long has kept me from truly pursuing my God-given purpose and destiny? What if I faced the giant of sickness and disease and declare health and healing over my life and the lives of those I love? What if I faced the giant of despair and once again believed that God has a bright future for my life? What if I faced the giant of brokenness that for far too long and for far too many generations has been plaguing my family and is now inflicting my marriage and my relationships? What if I faced the giant of prejudice and racism and sexism that exists and that's been hurting me and the people I love for far too long in my world? What if I faced the giants that have been keeping me and keeping those around me small and weak and limited and timid and afraid in areas of my life that I was meant to soar. I hope today we listen to the what if. I hope we listen and I hope we face our giants. But I hope we also understand that giant killers, though our world needs them, we need a lot less giants and a lot more giant killers. Giant killers are not made on the battlefield. They're made in the pasture fields. When no one is watching and when the stakes aren't high, but the temptation to quit out of boredom and impatience is. I hope we understand that if we ever want victory, true victory in our lives, and we want to experience the glory of a battle won by faith, that we would submit ourselves to becoming dangerously predictable. I believe I'm speaking to a room of giant killers. No one in this room is ordinary. No one is average. No one is just another body in the room. You're extraordinary. God made you that way. And he made you to slay the giants in your life. And so today, with the time that we have, I actually want to speak to giant killers. And I want to urge you and encourage you to become dangerously predictable in two different ways. As this year draws to a close and as we dream and plan for 2018, just two areas that each and every one of us can become more and more dangerously predictable so that we can slay the giants that we are facing and the ones that we don't even know are around the corner so that we can see God's kingdom come, his glory done, his will done on this earth. Number one, speaking to giant killers, how can we become predictable? Well, I believe that we become dangerously predictable when more than ever we become predictably dependent on the presence of God. Predictably dependent on the presence of God. Listen, as we grow more in our faith, the goal is not to become more self-sufficient. It's actually the opposite. It's to become more God-dependent. Spiritual maturity is recognizing that we can't try to live out our day-to-day -day lives on our own, but we need the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit day in and day out. Truth talk, I need Jesus like every day, not just Sunday, every day. I need Jesus when I wake up in the morning. Not just coffee, I need Jesus, hello? I, I need the presence of God on my commute to work. 
I need the power of the Holy Spirit during the workday. And I need the leading of the Spirit of God in my marriage and in my family and in my relationships. I need God. Not just some of the time or when things go really bad. I need him every day. And truth talks, so do you. We all do. We need the presence of God. You know, I just got married. I told you that about now over a month ago. I don't know. Do you celebrate every month? I don't know how this works. We'll just stick with years, right? Uh, and, and some of you were even at the wedding. It was so wonderful. We had such a great time. I have a photo, I think, of us on our, there you go. Look at that. That's right here, like down the street. Dumbo, come on now. Uh, so this is Ben, my amazing husband. Most of you uh, have met him. If you haven't, you got to because he's, he's pretty extraordinary. And, uh, and, and we're having so much fun. We're so grateful for each other. We're laughing a lot. We're learning a lot. Uh, and and, and it's, it's a wild ride. We are loving being married. It's fun. Marriage is fun. Now, I've only been married like a month and a half, so take this as worth, but it's fun right now. We really love it. Uh, but even now, even with the vows that we exchanged and the love that we have and the fun that we're having, even now we recognize that we need Jesus in our marriage, like every day. It was a couple weeks ago. And we'd had a really busy day, and we were both uh, running around trying to get a lot done. And there was one moment in the day that we were just short with each other. We didn't say anything mean. We didn't call each other names. We could just tell there's a different tone. We were short with each other. And so at the end of the day, we were, you know, talking about our day, and we started talking about that. And Ben said pretty early on in the conversation, he's like, you know what? We're just learning how to communicate. We're new to this marriage thing. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, Let's just talk it up. We're learning, all right? We talked about it. We learned. But that wasn't a good enough answer for me. I wanted to figure out why this happened so we would never repeat this again in our lives. I know married people are all laughing and we're like, girl, welcome to the club. Uh, and, and so I kept talking, and I, I was like, we've got to figure this out. And Ben said, finally, he said, you know, we'll, I'll keep talking this as long as you want to. But honestly, I think we're making this a bigger deal than it is. Just because we had a short interaction with each other doesn't mean we're going to have a horrible marriage. That's what he said. And... I usually, in these kind of situations, actually, I, I get kind of quiet and I think before I speak and I want to be very intentional about my words. That's usually what I do, actually, when things get, when I have more emotions coming up. But I don't know what happened in this moment, but I didn't even flinch. There wasn't even a pause. What came right out of my mouth as soon as he said those words was, well, that's easy for you to say, but I actually grew up in a horrible marriage. Like, that's, it just came out, right? It's easy for you to say you grew up in a good one. I didn't. And as soon as I said that, it was like we understood what was really going on. That had nothing to do with the conversation. There was this deeply rooted fear within me that all of a sudden I was going to be repeating the mistakes of my childhood. And God's done a miracle work on my family. And my parents have been married together for decades and loving life and actually loving marriage now. But I didn't see that expression growing up as a kid. I saw dysfunction and alcoholism and a lot of hurt and pain. And here I am standing before my husband, having gone to counseling, having prayed, having worked through a lot. This was a long time ago. This was my childhood. And now this is coming out. And immediately as the words come out of my mouth, I'm feeling frustrated at myself and a bit disappointed. Like, you've gone through all of this and you're still here dealing with this pain, right? And I think my husband could see the level of disappointment that was coming over me and even a little bit of shame that I felt in that moment that this is what I was bringing to the table in the conversation. And he did the best thing that he could possibly do in that moment. He walked right up to me, he gave me a big hug, and he began to pray. He just, he didn't say, we're going to pray. He just began to pray. And it wasn't the longest prayer, but he simply just prayed, Jesus, we need you in our marriage right now. And I thank you, Jesus, that you can heal the places that we can't. 
And I pray that you would do that and you would lead us and guide us. Amen. Right? Very simple. But something happened in that moment that Ben, however much he loves me and however much he wants to try to help me, could never have done. The Holy Spirit healed a wounded place of my heart in that moment. Simply because we invited God to lead the moment. In the moment, we were dependent on the presence of God. Friends, we need to depend on it. It's not enough just to know that God is with us. I'm just going to say, it's not enough. We say things that God is with us. It's not just a statement of reassurance, like some motivational quote that we pin on, on our wall in our office or like some sort of Pinterest, you know, thing that we like and save. Oh, I like the typography on that. Maybe I'll post it someday. No, no, no. This is not just a statement of reassurance. This is actually an invitation from God himself, for us to engage with him, to learn from him, to listen, to be led and guided by truth every single day of our lives, to be on the receiving end continually of the love and the mercy that he has for us each and every day. It's like if somebody were to say to us, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I just started this relationship and it's going really well and it's getting really serious. I think this one might be the one. And we'd be like, wow, that's awesome. So like, what do you guys do together? And they're like, oh, well, really nothing. We sit in a room all day. We don't talk. We don't acknowledge each other. We don't interact. And this is going places. I'm telling you, this is the one. We'd be like, Ugh, I don't know about that. You know, maybe you should talk to Dr. Phil or something because there could be some issues here, right? What if today we came together and as soon as we walked into this space, we all became silent and we sat down and we didn't acknowledge each other. We didn't even look at anybody. We just sat down and the worship team and the, the musicians and the singers, they got up here and they took the mic and they stood and then for 20 minutes they did nothing, just stood, nothing. And then when they were done, next person come up and just stand and do nothing what if I came up here and I said oh man I'm so excited I have a fresh message I've been praying about this I know that this is going to impact each of us in our faith are you ready and then I was silent up here with the mic for 30 minutes I just nothing and you nothing and we nothing nothing and then the end of service we walked out of this space and as soon as we got into the lounge we're like wow wasn't that the best service I mean man it was like they were speaking right to me like I'm so glad I came to church today if somebody was new they'd be like wow you are drinking Kool-Aid where is it I gotta get out of here because this is some weird stuff this is what would be happening today right because it's not about us just being in the same space together that makes the time meaningful it's actually that we are interacting with each other that we're learning and growing together that we're responding to the presence of God in the room right now friends it's it's not enough just to know that God is with us. Some of us have this picture that God is with us like it's some sort of mantra, like I'm going to be okay. In the moments when I feel really alone, I'm just going to recognize that he's somewhere in the vicinity. Listen, God wants to do more than just be in the same space with you. He wants to lead and guide you in all truth and in all love day in and day out. The Holy Spirit is not some sort of shadow that just kind of follows us around and never says anything and does anything or an imaginary friend that we only like exist to the extent that we believe he does. No, no, no. Listen to the true nature of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Jesus describes, so we're talking about the spirit that raised Christ from the dead that we as believers have access to, that the Bible says that we actually are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are not just surrounded by the presence of God. We are filled with the presence of God. This is how the Holy Spirit is described. 
But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 15, Jesus says this, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. And listen to John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I've said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Listen, Jesus says a lot of things here about the Holy Spirit, but one thing we cannot deny According to what Jesus has said, the Holy Spirit is not passive and inactive. The Holy Spirit leads us. He guides us. He comforts us. He reveals the character and goodness of God. He empowers us with power from above. But he does not just sit and tag along silently. And so what I'm suggesting is if we have truth and comfort and strength and power himself in our midst 24-7, then why don't we make use of who we are with? And so, I come here with an agenda this morning, a mission, unapologetically so. I dare you, giant killers in the making. <laughs> I dare you, for one month, every day, to do two things, to intentionally engage in the presence of God. Not just know he's here, but two things. To set yourself to engage with the presence of God. To listen and be led by the Holy Spirit. Number one, pray every day. For one month, every day, 10 minutes, uninterrupted time. Now with your phone in your hand or the TV in the background, for some of you, you might be in the car or on the subway with headphones on and your eyes closed because you just gotta get rid of the chaos for a second. Some of us, it might be in the bathroom or in the shower because we're trying to get away from the little ones. I don't know what it is, but 10 minutes every day, uninterrupted, where we pray, where we ask God to lead us, where we pray about the things that matter, that are concerning us, that we make space to be filled with his love filled with his thoughts, filled with his goodness and his kindness to guide us for the day, just 10 minutes a day. Number two, read your Bible every day for one month. Some of you are like, oh, you had me until there. I don't read anymore. I went to school. I graduated. I'm done. No, listen. <laughs> just one chapter a day from the Bible for one month, about 10, 15 minutes of your time. I want you to read simply for this. Simply to invite the Holy Spirit to show you who God is, who he created you to be, and how to live. That's it. It's that simple. And if you're like, I don't even know where to start, you can start with one of the Gospels. Okay? This is the, this is the story of Jesus when he walked the earth. That's a good place to start as followers of Jesus. And I would recommend starting with Mark. That, that's the beginning of his adult earthly ministry all the way through his resurrection. And you're going to learn so much about the character of God and who you are and who he created you to be during that time. And if it's like the holidays and it's Christmas time and you're like, I want to get on baby Jesus action, then you can read Matthew or Luke, okay? Because those talk about, about Jesus' early years as well. Uh, but here's the thing. I want you to, to do this with the intention of just engaging with the presence of God. So it's not just, I know you're in the same space, but God, speak to me. God, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm learning. I'm leaning. I need you. I know that I need you today. You're making space for that every day. And if you miss a day, don't quit. 
If you miss a day, you're like, oh, I'm going to chalk it up to the too hard category. Come on, no, no, no. I'm talking to giant slayers in the room. So you can go in and say, it's okay, I missed a day, but I'm gonna, tomorrow's a new day, so I'm jumping back in. Just commit as much as you can and become a kind of person who becomes dangerously predictable when it comes to your dependency on God. Because, friends, every day he has the power to give you so you can slay those giants. But it starts with becoming dependent on the presence of God. Number two, become predictable in this area. Be predictably faith-filled in challenges. Faith-filled in your responses to challenges. Listen, challenges happen to us all, don't they? (laughs) Part of why they're so challenging is because we can't control them. But what we can control is how we respond. Have you ever known somebody who could walk into a room, and they walk into a room... And it was, the, it was a depressing room, it was negative, it was stressed out, something. But they walk into the room, and within a couple minutes, people are smiling, people are laughing, people are breathing, they've calmed down, they're working together, right? Because one person decided to walk into a room with intention. The same is true with our own soul. We actually have the power to redirect our heart towards faith at any given moment. We can change the climate and the attitude of our heart from fear to faith, from worry to courage, from despair to hope in any given moment. Listen to what King David says. I love this. King David, in Psalm 103, he writes so many songs of worship to God. But this one is really unique because it is a song of worship, but he actually doesn't begin by addressing God. He actually begins by talking to himself. Listen to what he says. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, listen, somebody only needs to be told not to forget if it's difficult to remember, which means he was going through something difficult right now. He was going through a challenge. But what does David do? He actually decides to take ownership of his own soul, the care of his soul, the health of his soul. He actually begins to tell himself how he's going to respond. He chooses to reflect on God's goodness because he recognizes that he maybe can't change what's going on around him, but he certainly can't control what is going to happen within him. And he chooses to respond with faith. Now, notice what I didn't say this is. I didn't say that this is like walking around acting like everything's fine when it's not. Like suppressing our emotions, you know. You ever asked, and a man can attest in this room, have you ever asked a woman how is she and she says she's fine? You know that she's a number of things, but fine is probably not one of them, right? Some of us are like that right now when it comes to our faith. Like we come in here and our world is falling apart. Things are good, not good at all. But we come in here, people, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Bless God, I'm fine. Worship, God, I'm fine. I want to talk about it. I'm fine. God, I'm fine. I'm fine. That is actually being passive aggressive towards Jesus and it's being isolating yourself towards others. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about denying our emotions. I'm saying, can we, even though we're aware of our emotions, we're aware of the conflict, we're not denying it exists, we're not denying the challenges, can we still respond with faith? I believe we can. How do we do that time and time again? You know, there, there's this one interaction Jesus had with a man, and he brought his son to Jesus. And his son was dealing with demon possession. That's a pretty tough thing. And it was ruining this, this young man's life. And so the father brings his son to Jesus. And in part of the conversation, he says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can heal. My son and Jesus interrupts and says, if I can. I love this. And this is what he says, Mark, if I can. Anything is possible for him who believes. And immediately, this is how the father responds. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Sounds a little contradictory, right? I do believe. Help me because I have unbelief. But 
I feel that world all the time. I know it real well. How many, you go to church and it's great. The message is great. It's exactly what you need to hear. The worship is great. You had a conversation with somebody out in the lounge. It was exactly what you needed. And you left and you're like, you know what? It's going to be good. Things are going to work out. This is going to be great. I know it. I know it. It's going to be awesome. And then within 20 minutes, you thought of one thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, what is going on with my life? It's all ruined. How is this all going to work out? Uh, right? But the Father teaches us something about faith here. With his interaction with Jesus, he, he teaches us that faith is both declaring and asking. It's declaring faith in your life. It's drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know what, regardless of what's going on around me, I am choosing faith. I will believe in a God who saves. I will believe in a God who heals. I will believe in a God who blesses his people. I will believe that my best days are ahead, not because it's some sort of cliche mantra, but because Jesus himself is leading my life. I'm drawing a line in the sand, and I choose to believe. And it's also, faith is also asking in those moments when anxiety creeps in and worry and fear and all the things that would try to stop you from facing your giants to say, help me in my unbelief, Jesus. In the places that I am weak right now, be my strength. In the places right now where I don't even know what to believe or I don't even know what to pray, Jesus, fill the gap for me. I recognize that my faith alone does not move mountains. It's my faith in the mighty name of Jesus in which miracles happen. There's one other aspect of faith, though, that we can't deny. Faith is declaring and faith is asking. It's choosing a faithful response, but faith, if it's truly faith, is always going to require action. It just will. That's how it works. It wasn't enough for David to trash talk Goliath. He had actually pick up a slingshot and fire. It wasn't enough for that man to bring his son to Jesus and just have a conversation. He had to bring his son to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal my son, right? He had to do something physically in order for there to be the breakthrough. The same is true for us. One quick story here. And then we're going to pray together. Does that sound good? In an atmosphere of faith like this, that we would pray and believe for miracles. Uh, I was on my honeymoon in Thailand. Thailand is awesome, by the way. It's it's spectacular. And we had a lot lot of fun during our honeymoon. We did all kinds of sorts of things. I discovered on honeymoon that my uh, husband and I have very different ideas of what vacation is. (laughs) Because I think vacation is like lounging on a beach and looking at the pretty ocean. But he thinks that's good for an hour. And then we should go and do something. So we did snorkeling and scuba diving and riding motorcycles and playing with elephants. And it was all amazing. He really wanted to go scuba diving, and he'd been before, and he loves it. Now, me, not so much. I've never been scuba diving. I've been snorkeling, and that's about my speed, you know? But, like, scuba diving, come on now. Like, that's not my idea of fun. That's like a death wish. You're, like, relying on oxygen tank. You can't. I mean, it's bad. Bad news for me. I'm not a fan. But the things you do for love, okay? Because he was like, please, I really want you to do it with me. I was like, okay, fine. I'll risk my life for you. Whatever, you know? So we, um, so I go through the training, and, uh, and I get through the test pretty quickly, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And the instructor says to, to us, okay, and I'm going to be with you the whole time, so don't worry about a thing. Honestly, even if you, you don't feel comfortable swimming, I will be right there with you, and I can carry you by the tank. And I laughed out loud because I thought to myself, why in the world would somebody go scuba diving if they don't feel like they're comfortable with swimming? You know what I mean? Like, if you're not a good swimmer, this is the wrong thing to be doing today, right? And so we go on the first dive, and it was, it was a lot to process, uh, but it was extraordinary. Man, I felt like I was, like, inserted into a National Geographic magazine. Like, it was amazing, you know? But towards the end of the dive, the last five minutes, the weirdest thing started happening to my body. I became numb on part of my body. Like, it started to tingle my, my arm and my hand, and then it went completely numb. Like, completely numb. And I'm trying not to panic underwater, but I'm thinking this is probably not 
a good thing. And I'm thinking maybe I'm not getting oxygen properly. What if I'm going to pass out? You don't want to pass out in the middle of scuba dive. So I, I'm trying to not panic. But finally, I just said to my instructor, I made the, the cue of like, it's not OK. We need to go up, right? And Ben's like, what's going on? So we go to the surface about five minutes early. And, and I say, I don't know what's going on, but I can't feel my arm and I can't feel my hand. And um, the scuba instructor was like, that's kind of strange, but let's just have you sit on the boat for a while and see if you feel better. And, and please let me know what's happening. And I sat there for about 20 minutes. I felt completely better. Everything was back to normal. It was fine. And I went to, to Ben and I said, Ben, I don't know what's going on. Like, that's so strange. I feel kind of nervous about going on the second dive because we're on our way to do it again because I don't know what happened. And he just started laughing. He couldn't hold it in. And he looked at me and he said, babe, the reason that your arm fell asleep and all that stuff is because you did not move for 50 minutes. You did not move underwater, not once. I said, what are you talking about? I did not move. I was swimming the whole time with you. He's like, no, 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 sweetie. That's what you think you were doing. But you were like this the whole time. The instructor was just dragging you along the whole time. I have a picture to show. I think we have two. So do you see the arm? There's proof. Do you see that arm? That's the whole time. I was just... He's like, you weren't even completely horizontal. You were just like this, being dragged around, right? He's like, and I thought about it, and I thought, wow, isn't that true to face sometimes? Listen, for some of us right now, God has us in the deep waters. He has us in the deep waters. He has us in a place of new discovery and new adventure. And yeah, it's a little bit scary and it's a little bit uncomfortable. And you need new provision and you need new instructions for it. And some of us were like, it doesn't feel right. It feels scary. It feels uncomfortable. Something's wrong. Listen, the thing that's wrong is not the provision. It's not the instructor. Hello. It's not even the company you keep. It's not the deep waters that you're in. The problem is you got to move in those waters. You got to activate your faith. You got to wake it up. Some of you, I came here today to say, wake it up. Shake it up. Do something. Don't just be content by living off of other people's faith and being carried along everywhere. I promise you it's not going to work out well for you. You better believe on that second dive. I was swimming. I was like, let's do this photo op, right? You know, I got to redeem myself. Listen, wake up your faith. Move it this year. Get the degree. Join the community group so you can actually have some friends who are giant killers with you and got your back. Start serving on a team. We have next steps today, right? And we'll learn more about that. But join in on an effort to do something good in the community. Come on, go to the counseling. Do what you need to do. Go ahead and make this the year of health breakthrough in your life. Go ahead and make this the year that you have a financial plan. Move. Move for the faith that God's given you. Friends, you got to ask, you got to declare, and you got to move. Giant killers move. I promise you, if you can become predictably faith-filled in how you respond, I promise you there's going to be some giants that get slain in your midst.